0: Awesome. Good morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And as already mentioned, we're going to be in John 8, 12 through 30 this morning. If you haven't heard, there is a revival currently uh, happening in the college town of Wilmore, Kentucky. There, college students from Asbury University gathered on Wednesday morning for another regular rhythm to their chapel service. You can imagine waking up on Wednesday morning at Asbury University and walking into chapel like you've done over the course of the semester time and time and time again. And what ended up happening is now that gathering has continued into its fourth and fifth day of worship, testimony, confession, salvation, emotional, physical, spiritual healing, And while only several hundred gathered in that college town that morning, that crowd has now filled the entire auditorium of 1,500 people I read a story yesterday of a man and his wife driving nine hours to go and witness and experience this amazing move of God. There are students driving in from other colleges and at one point were commissioned to go back and cry out for revival on their own campus. God is in that room and God is transforming the lives of people in that room. And what I, I love about that and, and, and how that's going to really press us into this text this morning is uh, we long for the presence of Jesus and we long to experience the presence of Jesus. And I, I just wonder if this morning as we walk in and as we come, not to another chapel service, but we come to another Sunday morning gathering here at Church of the Valley could this be the moment where we really meet Jesus? Could this be the moment where our lives are truly transformed? and there are certain weeks that I feel like in my preparation that the Lord just gives me an angst and a desire and a longing to see this and and, and just desiring to experience that in the midst of our body, in the midst of our church. Mark Sayers talks about renewal and revival. And I want, I want you to read his definition because this is what I long for Church of the Valley to experience. The idea of renewal is the refreshment, release, and advancement that individuals, groups, churches, and cultures experience when they're realigned with God's presence. Resumption of our God-given purpose to partner with God fully, participating in his plan to flood the world with his presence. And revival occurs when renewal occurs on a large scale, bringing significant advancement, growth, and kingdom fruit to a city, people group, movement, region, or nations. Revival is renewal gone viral. And so when we talk about the idea of experiencing revival, what's happening on this college town and and on this university campus is they're experiencing the presence of God unlike they've ever experienced before. They're experiencing the reality of God in the flesh coming and being present through the power of the Holy Spirit there in that room today today. And I long for us to experience that because I believe that change only happens when we meet and experience the presence of God. And so I'm praying, I'm asking that this morning, the refreshment, the release, the advancement that we experience when realigned with God's presence would happen this morning. And that we would partner with God to fill the world with his presence. And that it would take hold of us and that it would go viral. I remember reading uh, about another awakening that happened in America. And at that time, over 15% of America came to faith in Jesus in that one revival. There were whole cities where you could not find an unconverted person. Would that not be amazing? Do you believe that? Do you long for that? Do you want to experience that? And I just wonder if we could wake up to the reality of his presence. I believe that's what this text is leading us to. On Thursday morning of this week, I had an early morning meeting and coffee with one of our other pastors, uh, Pastor Chris. And I just remember sitting there over coffee with him, and I just said, "I, I just want us, I want our church to wake up to the reality of his presence. We're asleep. We don't see, we don't acknowledge, we don't understand that he is in our midst. He has come in, he has broken into our world and has claimed, I am the light of the world and we continue to walk in darkness. So I want us to pray to that end this morning. Even as we begin, you woke up this morning, you showed up this morning and it may not be on your agenda this morning to be realigned with the presence of God this morning but that's what I want to pray for. And there there's some who are thinking, well, you know, there's a Super Bowl tonight. And I got, you know, how long is this going to go? I don't know, but if it lasted 7 days, it would be amazing and I don't think any of us would be lacking. We're praying, we're asking, we're believing that we wouldn't just experience the ordinary, but God would meet us and that we would experience the extraordinary presence of God in our midst. I'm praying that we would long for a refreshment, that we would long for a releasing. I'm praying that we would hunger for the presence of God. I'm praying that we would be desperate to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And so I want to pray for us this morning as we begin, that this wouldn't just be another sermon, another time to gather and sing, but that you would experience him. Let's pray. Father, we come, we ask, we beg of you to bring revival here in this valley. We ask that you would start with your people right here in this room. Church of the Valley, that you would move in us in a mighty way. This morning, would you help us to understand the claim that you come to make, that you are the light of the world, that you've come, that you've illuminated, you've, you've spoken into our world, you've, you've taken all the dark places, and you've come to shed light on them, not to exploit us, but to expose that we need you. We need you. We desperately need you this morning. So God, I, I pray You would meet us in this moment, that we would experience your presence with us here. We pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen. So in John 8 this morning, interesting enough, Jesus breaks in with his presence once again And verse 20 tells us in John chapter 8 that Jesus is going to be speaking these words from the treasury as he taught in the temple. And I love this because a lot of us, you know, modern day readers, we're going to read this and we're going to kind of move through, but this is put in this, this uh, description and passage to give us some context of what is happening. And so the courtyard that is being described here is on the east side of the temple. And it's here where Jesus is going to come in and offer this invitation. And I believe that this invitation that Jesus offers is an invitation for us today, church, where he's not just inviting us to, to, to hear good advice, but to hear good news. And I'm just asking this morning, how many of you, including yourself, think about the Bible as just good advice? We can kind of take it or leave it. You know, it's got, it's got some good advice. It's got, it's got some things that, that we might step into that, that we need to do. And what the good news of the Bible, what it describes is something's actually already been done, and we just receive it. And one of the things, the pattern that we see throughout this gospel is people mistake the good news... And, and they miss the invitation and they miss the presence of God. And if I'm honest with you today, I think we're in danger of missing the invitation and missing the presence of God. And I hope and I pray and, and what we're asking is we want to receive the good news that's offered in this passage. How many of you, you're coming today and you're like, I need some good news this morning. Good news. Everybody's else's life, you're awesome. No, come on. We need good news, Right? Like tonight, your team is going to lose or your team is not even in the Super Bowl. And you're like, man, and we've based our whole life and worth and like we're, we're going, man, we, we need some good news. You're going to be stepping into the office tomorrow morning and and all the things that you were like, man, things are looking good. Things are looking up and you're going to be hit with news and, and we need some good news in the midst of that. Some of us are going to, you know, find out that there's challenges that that we're going to be walking into this week. There's challenges that we're walking out of this past week. And we need good news. I heard one person describe it like this. Imagine you have a child. This child is, is battling cancer. It's as if A shadow has fallen over your life. Everything feels surreal. It's hard to eat or sleep. Little things that seem to bring you joy now seem meaningless. And all that matters is how does this child go on living? And as you sit in a hospital waiting room, a friend offers advice. He just read about this new experimental therapy. Perhaps you should give it a try. And some people are having great luck reducing pain with hypnosis. And have you tried megavitamins? And at this moment, your child's surgeon enters the room. She takes your hand and she says, the surgery went far better than we imagined. We have every reason to believe the cancer is gone. Your child is going to live. And moments like that change your life forever. And as pastor and author Tim Keller points out, he says, there's a world of difference between good advice and good news. Many people think of Christianity as a list of heavenly suggestions. Jesus is a life coach who offers take it or leave it recommendations for finding happiness and meaning. But from the very beginning, the Jesus story is not advice It's news. It's not the reciting of a few things that you ought to try to make happen, but the announcement that something that God has already made happen. This is true. This is true for us today as when the people first heard Jesus proclaim, I'm the light of the world. How will you respond to that news? And so what Jesus is going to do, Jesus is going to come. He's going to pro- proclaim good news. He's proclaiming good news over us this morning. And, and so we're going to first uh, dive in and we're going to look at the claim. Now, I want you to kind of follow with me. So let me give you kind of where we're headed. We're going to look at the claim, the call, the consequence, and the conversion. The claim, the call, the consequence, the conversion first of all we see the claim Jesus comes in in verse 12 and it says again Jesus spoke to them saying I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life and so it Jesus is here making this claim that he's the light of the world now it's important that we go back, as we did when we were uh, reading the previous passages. We are well aware it's it's important that we know where it is and when this is happening. When is this taking place, so that we can kind of understand the context? Now, if you were here last week, you you got to hear me for an hour talk about how John seven fifty three through eight eleven is probably not in the right place. And some of the other original manuscripts actually move that passage. And some other manuscripts, it's not even in there. Uh, and if you're like, what's going on with that? Listen to last week. But if you read from John 7:52 and you jump right into John 8, 12, it seems like it seamlessly flows. And it tells us later on in verse 20 in chapter 8, that Jesus is still speaking in the temple. And what's happening in the temple is we have the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And so we see in this, there, there are some ceremonial rhythms that are happening during this feast that give greater meaning to what Jesus is proclaiming in this text. So when Jesus invited all who were thirsty in John 7 verse 37, we discussed that at the very time that Jesus stands up and says, all who are thirsty come to me and drink, Jesus was actually seeing this water ceremony take place where they would go down and the priest would take water from the pool of Siloam and it would be poured out and it would be done in remembrance of looking back to the time when the Israelites traveled in the wilderness and they longed for water. They were they were being provided by God the Father. And so God was providing for them in the same way that they're, they're looking forward in anticipation Where Jesus would come, where the Messiah would come, they wouldn't know it to be Jesus, and ultimately be the fulfillment of this text. And so we see this. Well, in a similar fashion, we're gonna see the claim that Jesus is making has to do with a ritual that is taking place there in the temple called the illumination of the temple. Now, this would happen, guess where? In the treasury of the temple. That's important to know. So we have this descriptive fact in scripture that tells us where this is occurring. Jesus is doing this in the treasury of the temple. And every night during the Feast of Tabernacles, there would be an illumination of the temple. And what would happen is there would be this ritual lighting of these golden oil filled lamps. And so they would be, there were four of them in the temple and they were 75 feet tall and they would hold 10 gallons of oil. And so there would be servants there in the temple who would come and they would take gallons of oil and they would set up a ladder and they would climb up this 75 foot tall pillar and fill these bowls with oil. Interesting enough, we'll touch on this again, I'll speculate, but interesting enough, the wick, they would basically take the, the priest undergarments, old, worn out, dirty, soiled undergarments. There was no way of making them clean again. And so they would use those and they would roll them together. They would dip them in the oil and that would be the wick that would light these giant 75-foot t- towers. And it would, t- it would tell us, and history tells us, that there would not be a courtyard in Jerusalem that was not lit up. This was massive. The temple sat on a hill. And it, it, they would light these four, and it would illuminate Jerusalem. And they would do this in celebration and anticipation that one day the light of the world would come, that one day that one would come who would illuminate the darkness. This festival was a reminder that God had promised to send a light to a sin-darkened world. God promised to send a Messiah to release them from bondage, to restore their joy. And so I want you to imagine yourself, you're celebrating this. There's, There's dancing, there's singing, they're lighting these four pillars And Jesus comes in, in the temple, in the courtyard, and he walks in, and he announces, I am the light of the world. And they argue with him. They miss his presence. What Jesus is coming to do, Jesus is the fulfillment Jesus is coming in and he's saying, what you have been anticipating, what you are looking for, what you are celebrating, what you're pointing towards is me and I'm here. And they argue. In Isaiah chapter nine, verse two, we have a prophecy, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. This is good news. This changes everything. Jesus is breaking into the darkness. The oil would run out. The people would experience darkness once again, but Jesus will come and he'll illuminate the world and we will no longer need a light because Jesus is here. In Revelation chapter 21, it tells us, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Revelation 22, 5, And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. A light is here. What does light do? And what does light mean for us today? Because I, I, I want us to see like we long for the presence of God. We long to experience Jesus as the light of the world. What does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world for us today? Well, first of all, it means light reveals. Light reveals, light reveals things that are unseen. It it exposes. We see Jesus uh, kindly, compassionately, gracefully walking alongside people as we've read through the gospel of John where he comes to expose sin, not to exploit sin. He exposes sin because he wants to see us walk in the light and he wants to see us flourish and he wants to see us grow. Things that have been hidden, he wants to bring to the light, not for our shame, but for our flourishing. And he reveals what we couldn't see before. When I came to faith in Jesus, there's aspects of my life that were hidden. There's aspects of my life that were unseen. And when the light of Jesus came into my life, Jesus revealed things that I couldn't see. Jesus continues to reveal things that I can't see. Jesus continues to shine light into my life to reveal the darkness that he wants to illuminate and he wants to change and he wants to transform. Jesus is doing that still today. He's revealing. Light guides like guides, it gives us a path, a way to see obstacles. We're walking in the dark. We're not able to navigate. We're not able to see what obstacles stand in our way. A few weeks ago, we were on vacation. We did this hike up to a place uh, where there was a lighthouse You think about a lighthouse, we think about, you know, we live in such a a context where we just flip on a switch and to think about being in a place of darkness, think about being out on the ocean. What would a lighthouse do? A lighthouse has two primary purposes, right? It would steer people into, you know, away from dangerous unseen obstacles and it would mark safe entries into the harbor. And in the same way, Jesus has come in to guide us, to give us a guide, a path, a way in which to live our life, to guide our life, to help navigate our life, to lead us away from areas that are going to be obstacles, that are going to destroy our life, to lead us into areas, to lead us into safe harbor, to lead us to our eternal destination, and to guide us into a place where we can experience life with him forever. Jesus comes to guide us through the brokenness and darkness of our pain. How many of us are navigating life without Jesus? How many of us just think like we come and we want the five year plan? We want Jesus to just kind of unfold and, hey, give me the five years, show me the map, show me the guide. But he wants to lead us every day. He wants to lead us every moment. Because it's about relationship. Not just giving you some navigational guidepost. He wants you to journey with him. He actually wants relationship. And how often maybe we just trade the presence of God for the five-year plan. Light provides. Light provides warmth and beauty of light. Again, I went on vacation a few weeks ago. I needed sunshine. I needed warmth. Anybody else? You're like, I tell people, I'm like, I don't know that I I struggle with seasonal depression, but I definitely experience joy when I'm in the sunshine and it's warm. And like, it's so good. The warmth and beauty that we get to experience in the light. Charles Spurgeon says this, when every lamp that every man has kindled and fed with oil of superstition shall have died out as they must expire, our Lord Jesus Christ shall like the morning sun make glad the sons of men. Oh, it fills us. Jesus, the light of the world, comes to fill our lives with warmth and beauty. John 20, 31, the purpose of John's gospel was so that you may have life. You want life? A life of warmth, a life of beauty, a life that you get to experience the goodness of God? Follow the light of the world. Life sustains. When Jesus comes and makes the claim, light is the sole source of all living organisms. Life cannot exist without light. Jesus is our source of light. Jesus is our source of purpose or significance. He gives meaning to your life. He sustains your life. He gives you a reason to wake up tomorrow morning. He's the story you live by. Justin Buzzard says in his book, The Big Story, each one of us has a story that we believe One we use to make sense of our lives and world. Some of us draw our stories from family legacy while others try to escape the story of their family. Some live the stories of pursuing success, fame, or wealth. Some of us want to live the story of a hero but are stuck in what seems like a boring story. Some of us fit our lives into a story taught by religion or a philosopher or thinker we admire. Some of us attach ourselves to the dominant storyline of the city we live in. Chasing pleasures in Las Vegas or power in Washington, D.C. We may not even be aware of it or even have thought of it in these terms, but it's true. We can't live without a sense of story. What is the story? What is the thing sustaining you? What is the thing that gets you up tomorrow morning? What are you pursuing? What are you following? Is it the light of the world? Because there's going to be other things claiming to be the light. Things that are seeking to gain your attention. Things that are calling you to give your time, money, and energy. And here's what I want you to know. Those lights will go out. They will not sustain you. Jesus is the only thing that can sustain you. He is the light of the world. He makes that claim. Do you know it? And then we see the call. We see the call. Because it's not just he, he is the light of the world, but how do we respond to the light of the world? And it says in 8.12, Jesus spoke to them. I'm the light of the world. How do you respond? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We're called to follow the light. To experience the light, one must follow. Again, Charles Spurgeon says, now he that follows Christ shall never walk in darkness. To follow him... Means this, to commit yourselves to him, to believe him, to yield yourselves up obediently doing what he bids and implicitly accepting what he says. That's what it means to follow him. I'm concerned that there are many people here that may know Jesus to be the light of the world, but don't follow him. That don't submit your lives to him. That don't look to him. I look back. This this time, this ceremony that would take place at the Feast of Tabernacles was to look back to this time where the Israelites would look up into the sky and there would be a cloud by day and a fire by night. And this ceremony, this illuminating the temple, looked back on that moment. And so I, I imagine, as I read Exodus chapter 13, it says this, and, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of, fow- of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. And so I imagine, I, I'm just seeing people waking up, they tabernacling with the Lord. They're living what they're celebrating here, the Feast of Booths. They, they had these makeshift homes and they're in the wilderness and they're waking up and they look up and they're like, oh, the presence of God is with us. The cloud's here. And it says the cloud would lead them. And so the cloud would move and they would follow. They would go where the cloud went. And they see a fire by night and They would see that fire in the presence and they would experience that fire and they would know that God is with them. They felt cared for. They felt sustained. They felt provided for. They felt guided. And in the same way, Jesus comes to say, I am that. And I just wonder how many of us are waking up. We're waking up on Monday morning and going, he's the light of the world. Where's he going? And that's going to dictate what I do today rather than my schedule. Rather than my ICAL. Rather than what circumstances or events. How many of us wake up really with the reality that the presence of God is there? Is he guiding? Is he sustaining? Is he pointing? Is he giving direction? Is he leading? Who are you following? Is Jesus the compass to your life? Or just some add-on? Is Jesus truly leading you? Is Jesus truly guiding you? Is Church of the Valley being led by the light of the world? Are we waking up? And I get it, like I, I I'm we're the same, we're Like There's no difference. Like I'm I'm going, I want to wake up tomorrow morning. Knowing and seeing and experiencing in the same way that they wake up in the wilderness and they look up and go, oh, he's he's here. I want to wake up tomorrow morning knowing he's here. He's present. And I want him to lead. I want him to guide. There's a comfort in that. I want him to set the agenda for the day. How do you know you're following the light? It says in this text that he's the light of the world. He's called us. He's invited us to follow him. How do you know if you're following the light? Well, in John chapter 12, verse 36, it says this. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And so you ask me, what does it mean? How do we know that we're following the light is that you reflect the light? In the same way that the, the moon has no illumination of its own, it's a reflection of the sun. And if that blew your mind this morning, science class in high school just changed your life, right? Like, we're, we're, we have this opportunity, we reflect, we are the, the picture, we are the, the, the evidence of God's presence in the world today that he is illuminating through his people that we are reflecting him to the world. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven While Jesus is no longer on earth physically with us, his light is still present in us. Maybe a question for us is, how much light does your life give forth? Are you using the opportunities that you have that God has given you? Are you stewarding the resources God has given you to shine Christ wherever you go? How do you know you're following the light? You become a light you're reflecting his image to the world. There's a a ministry that uh, Caitlin leads here in our church. It's called Snowboarders and Skiers for Christ. And uh, I had an opportunity to meet with Caitlin several months ago, and she got to share with me just her heart and passion for uh, the community that's on the mountain, and, and like, how do we be a, a bridge to the ski and snowboard culture and partner with the local church? And so she's began just sharing ideas and ways in which we can be a light. And I, I love the idea is, and, and if you kind of read through Snowboarders and Skiers for Christ, like their mission is being a light on the hill. And I love this picture of just going like, how do we go into this area here The Lord has gifted her and and given her passions and desires to see this community know Jesus. And so what does it look like to go into this community and be a light for Jesus? And so she's hosted uh, opportunities like wax nights for people to come here to our building. And and people come and get their skis and and boards waxed and like prepped up. And then opportunity to build relationship, ways to serve people on the mountain. And and we want to continue to grow that ministry. I love that she's passionate passionate about that. But it's just one way. Like you're trying to be a light. And this is what happens. How do we know we're following the light? Is that we become the light. I don't want people just to confess Jesus. I don't want more attenders at Church of the Valley. I want people who follow Jesus. Who see Jesus as the light of the world. And they reflect him. The consequence of not following the light is laid out to us in John eight twenty one through 28 He says, so he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in, in your sin. This is the consequence. The consequence of not following the light is that you will die in your sin. This is the predetermined destination for all who do not follow Jesus. The Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? He's referencing this, they're referencing this idea or this belief in the fact that that suicide would be, uh, would cause you to experience separation. He says, you are of this world and I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And it's funny, I I like, I read the next line and I kind of chuckle and they're like, who are you? And you're like, oh man, how many times? And then I reflect on my own life and I go, how many times, Justin? How many times has Jesus proclaimed to me his power, his nature, his character? His guiding, his sustaining, his provision over my life. And yet I failed to believe. And while I may not be standing there and going, who are you? I question who he is. Who is Jesus? At the end of the day, that's the only question that matters in life. And how you respond to that question dictates where you spend eternity. The consequence of not following Jesus is you die in your sins. Pastor Sam Storms preached a sermon where he looked at that specific word in detail that you will die in your sins. And he, he shared a brief summary is, is basically, it doesn't seem fair that failure to follow Jesus, on on this one point, has such eternal consequences. You mean, like, if I just, one simple thing, if I fail to follow the light of the world, I die in my sins. That seems very harsh. And maybe we wrestle with that this morning. And ultimately, the conclusion that he draws is, is that, that view comes from a high view of self and a very low view of God. A very high view of your morality and goodness and a very low view of God's holiness and perfection. We minimize sin and we minimize God's holiness. And ultimately, what makes us see this passage as good news is for us to realize that God doesn't send us to hell. That is the destination where all of us are headed unless Jesus steps in and redeems us and absorbs the wrath of God on our behalf so that we would receive the righteousness of God so that we can spend eternity with him forever. See, our destination, our bent right now is towards hell. And if it weren't for Jesus illuminating, if it weren't for Jesus coming and showing and revealing that He is the light of the world, we would be in darkness forever. The good news of this passage is that Jesus atones for our sin. He says later on in this passage. says, when Jesus is lifted up, they didn't understand what he was speaking. He said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. And ultimately, what we see in that is the, the cross is going to reveal the truth about Jesus. Because Jesus goes to the cross. He's persecuted. He's crushed for our sins. And he dies. But he doesn't remain dead. He rises again. The cross reveals. The cross illuminates. In some ways, this is Jesus coming in, and he's like, you can burn your underwear all you want, and you will still be in your sins. It will not make you clean. Only I who come in, the light of the world, can guide you, can sustain you, can lead you, can perfect you i will give you life the truth of this is if today if we don't follow jesus if we don't look to him to lead us hear me this morning hear the consequence you are still in your sins you will die You're not a Christian, and you will spend eternity apart from him. But the good news of Jesus is in the midst of that very, very dark story, the light of the world has broken. So, what do we need to do? And that's where we get to verse 30. We want to experience the conversion. In John chapter 8, verse 30, it says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Many believed in him. Now, hear me, church. Almost every time I say that, I tend to believe that there are people who dismiss that because they go, I've already done that. I've already checked that box. I've I believed in him. I did that when I was 12, when I was five, when I was seven. 90% of the time in the New Testament, when the gospel is preached, the gospel is preached to Christians. Because it's not just entry into this way of life with Jesus, but it's how we live our life in Jesus Is that we constantly need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to constantly come to a place of belief. This morning, we need to come to a place of belief. To believe there is a light. That that light is the light of the world. And that he's given us an invitation to follow him. And you know how we show that we believe him? Is we follow him. Is that we submit our lives to him. That we wake up tomorrow morning knowing that there is a guide. He's called all of us to believe. If he is the light, if he's the light of the world, are you following him? Are you experiencing his presence? Let's pray. Lord, I pray and ask that you would Take these broken words that I present, even at times lacking clarity, and give clarity to your people, your church here this morning. I pray that you would expose, I pray that you would reveal, I pray that you would illuminate the dark areas of our life, that you would convict, not for exploitation. But for flourishing, that you would call us into the light, that you would allow us to see your invitation to follow you today. Lord, I pray in the next few moments as we sing, as we respond, Lord, that you would move powerfully in our midst this morning. Some here that are present here need to be converted. Some here this morning need to believe for the very first time. They need to see that it's not good advice that they can dismiss but it is the best news in the world. Jesus has come and he's the light of the world. Lord, would we respond to that by following you this morning, by giving you, by trusting our lives to you? Lord, would you allow each of us in this room who call ourselves followers of Jesus to see our agenda, our story caught up in the greater story of God? that we would follow you. I want my life and our life, I want us to wake up tomorrow morning with a renewed sense of your presence. As a cloud, as a fire that hovered, you say you're the light of the world, you're here. We wanna see that, we wanna experience that. Would you wake us up tomorrow morning knowing that? Help us to know that Tomorrow, our our day is yours. You've given us another day on this earth. We want to submit it to you. Whatever you have for us, Lord, lead us, guide us, sustain us, provide for us, steer us away from obstacles, lead us into the safe harbor. Lord, thank you that you do that. Thank you that you never leave us. Thank you that you didn't depart us. That you continue to be that light that leads us. We need that. So Lord, I pray in the next few moments as we respond that you would move by the power of your Holy Spirit individually across this room. We pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen.